Okay, there are three readings, uh, starting with the verse of the year. So in Romans 6, verses 22 and 23. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then it's Matthew 14, 22 to 33, which is on page 746. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he set the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came forward towards them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. And the last reading is Isaiah 40, verses 21 to 31, which is on page 547. Haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root, when he blows on them and they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. O oh, Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? 
O Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. As humans, we're slaves. We're not really free to do what we want. And the only wage we're going to get is either to live or to die at the end. So tough, we're stuck as slaves. But I am free to go up a bit further, so I will do. But there is a bit of good news in all that because God has brought us from slavery to sin so that we've got him as our <coughs> slave master. And he's the best slave master we could ever have. Oh, not going very far. Oh, I didn't turn it on. Right. Not doing very well today, am I? Okay. Right. And just so you can see it all. No, did I just do something wrong there? Oh, there we go. Um, there's a little diagram for the organised people who like little graphs. So we've got a choice. Either we can go to life or we can go to death. Now, this whole slavery thing is a bit of an uncomfortable analogy for us. It's a nice picture of some child slaves back in Paul's day. But when Paul wrote, called us slaves, it was pretty uncomfortable analogy then as well, and probably quite a realistic one as well. But in the New Testament, there's so many of the apostles actually call themselves slaves of God. So we've got Paul, start of Romans, he says, Paul, I, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. James, Peter, Jude, Mary. And I should point out that in a lot of translations, it's dumbed down and it's called servant of God. But actually the word is slave. So it's got that added grit there. And in Revelation 1, just to make sure you know that you're a slave, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his slaves, that's us, the things which must take place in a short time, and communicated it by sending it through his angel to his slave, John. It was also the description that was given to Old Testament personalities who had a special relationship with God. So people like Abraham and Moses, David, Job. So we're in really good company in our little slave pack. Now, slavery in first century Rome wasn't entirely like 
what we think of it um, today with today's sorts of slavery, with human trafficking or the African slaves in Africa, um, America, that sort of thing. The large percentage of the population was slaves, although the, it's debatable what percentage. Um, and they were out and about in society. They didn't look that much different to everybody else. Um, and they could come from any stratum of education or skill or profession or um, labourers. They could be freed and they could buy their freedom if they were really fortunate. But you can imagine it wasn't something you'd really choose to do if you had much choice. So in Paul's day, slaves were looked down on. They had no rights. They were only kept alive to do their master's will. They were non-people, so there was a saying, service non habit personam, a slave has no person. So they were stripped of all their background, their name, they were given a, a new name by the master, um, their possessions, their body belonged to their master, they couldn't marry, their children were born into slavery. If they tried to escape, consequences were dire. And they were listed as tools, not people. Owners had complete autonomy and could treat them how they wanted. So with a bad master, you could be subjected to corporal punishment, sexual exploitation, torture, execution. They'd be branded on the forehead or wear a collar, a riveted collar, um, especially if they'd tried to escape ever. Um, there were some of the philosophers, like Paul did, who promoted better treatment of s slaves. So there's one, Seneca, who wrote, It's creditable, creditable to a man to keep within reasonable bounds in his treatment of slaves. Even in the case of a human chattel, one ought to consider not how much one can torture him with impunity, but how far such treatment is permitted by natural goodness and justice. So that gives you a bit of an idea of what was going on. But life wasn't necessarily terrible for slaves, even if it was for many. Some of them were treated as sons or made heirs, adopted um, as sons. Some were married to the owner so their children wouldn't be slaves. Um, if you were a slave of a high-up person, like the emperor, you'd have a higher status than a lot of the free people. And some people actually chose to be slaves rather than face starvation, because it um, could be better. It was just the character of the owner that determined how the slave was treated. So there's another philosopher, Cicero, who wrote of his slave. In the matter of Tero, my dear Marcus, you have done what gave me extreme pleasure when you preferred that he whose position was so unworthy of him should be our friend rather than a slave. And then there was also that hope of freedom for the first century Roman slaves, that they might be freed by the owner after a certain length of time, or they might be able to buy their freedom. And often the owner would remain as their patron and they would owe duties to them. So they were free, but not totally. Um, 
they, they had some political rights and their children would be free, but there was always that stigma of slavery over them. And sometimes that freedom was a tougher life than slavery had been. So that gives you a bit of an idea of what slavery could be um, in Paul's mind. But we're going to go off to another land now. We're going to go to Narnia. So some of you um, might know the Narnia books. Have we gone to sleep again? <coughs> there we go. So um, this is the voyage of the Dawn Treader. So our um, English children have been transported onto a Narnian ship with the king of Narnia, Caspian, who's also quite a young man. And um, now the main character we have here is Reaper Cheap, who is a talking mouse. Um, like you have and he, they've stopped at an island and they've gone for a walk and they see some rough looking men sitting there and they kind of have to go over to them because they're you know, sort of passing there and the men turn out to be slave traders and surround them and um, enslave them so they're being marched off down to the slave ship to be taken to the slave market. And at that moment, a fine-looking bearded man came out of one of the houses and said, Well, Pug, more of your usual wares. The slaver, whose name seemed to be Pug, bowed very low and said in a wheedling kind of voice, Yes, if it please your lordship. How much do you want for that boy? asked the other pointing to Caspian. Ah, said Pug, I knew your lordship would pick on the best. No deceiving your lordship with anything second rate. That boy now, I've taken a fancy to him myself. Got kind of fond of him, I have. I'm that tender-hearted, I didn't ever ought to have taken up this job. Still, to a customer like your lordship. Tell me your price, Carrion, said the lord sternly. Do you think I want to listen to the rigmarole of your filthy trade? Three hundred crescents, my lord, to your honourable lordship, but to anyone else, I'll give you a hundred and fifty. Oh, please, please, broken Lucy, don't separate us, whatever you do. A hundred and fifty, then, said the lord. As to you, for you, little maiden, I'm sorry that I cannot buy you all. Unrope my boy, Pug. And look, treat these others well while they're in your hands, or it will be the worse for you. So the others all get taken down to the slave ship. But meanwhile, Caspian was having a much more interesting time. The man who had bought him led him down a little lane between two of the village houses and so out into an open space behind the village. Then he turned and faced him. You needn't be afraid of me, boy, he said. I'll treat you well. I bought you for your face. You reminded me of someone. So the, the bearded man, the lord, turned out to be one of these lords that Caspian was looking for. And 
he freed Caspian and then they went off and freed all the others and destroyed slavery in that area. Now, I'm not entirely sure that um, C.S. Lewis meant this as an analogy of our state, but it is possible because he wrote his books as a sort of analogy of the whole redemption story. And it definitely has some overtones. So we have our heroes finding themselves enslaved. Right, they sort of didn't feel they'd done anything wrong, but there they were as slaves. And then Lord Burns steps in, and he's kind of the, the representative to Aslan, who's the kind of God figure, or Christ figure, um, in, this, in this particular story. So Lord Burns steps in and buys Caspian. And that's just like in real life. Jesus has stepped in and bought us. But his payment that he's made is our blood. So his blood, sorry, his life. So in 1 Peter, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, Lord Byrne bought Caspian to treat him well and then free him and keep him as a free person but under his protection. And that's how God treats us too. So we're bought by a good master and there we gain protection and provision and we have a guarantee of freedom. So in John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a slave does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And in John 8, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So we've seen that slavery could be okay or it could be bad. Now let's have a look at why the deal we've gained by accepting Christ's ransom for us is such a good one and why we can go into 2023 full of gratefulness and hope and security because of that. Now in our reading from Matthew, we can see God's real benevolence at play, his real kindness and I think his sense of humour as well. 
he must have been giggling on the inside when Peter started going down a bit. So we've got Jesus creeping up on them in a highly unorthodox manner. And then Peter wants to have a try at walking on water too. And Jesus doesn't shut him down. Instead he helps him and he guides him and he rescues him. He helps him get on his feet when he fails instead of just telling him how stupid he is. I I just see Jesus' love and care for Peter oozing out of this scene. And by extension his love and care for, for me and for all of you. And I... It's also the way he's sort of pushing Peter to extend his boundaries, but within the boundary of Jesus' aid and Jesus' example. And it, it also shows how great Jesus was, his, his power and his capability with the, the whole um, nature and all that sort of thing. And we see the same mixture of compassion and greatness in the reading from Isaiah. So here we've got this wonderful exposition of God's position in comparison to humankind and our world. So he's sitting enthroned above the world. He's stretching out the heavens. He's calling each of the starry hosts by name. He's the top dog. He's the creator of us. He's the creator of our world and beyond. And who would you rather have as your boss? The, the top dog or one of the rulers it mentions in the passage? They can just knock off their throne with a little puff of breath that disappear into the woodwork just like Jacinda's going to after this week. <laughs> but look at what he reminds us of next. So he's just, we've got this picture of this amazing, great God who's above everyone, everything, even his thinking and understanding is way above us. This amazingly great God cares about us. He helps us. He gives us strength and he gives us aid when we need it. I I just love this image of just soaring with God's help. The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. It's, yeah, a lot of slave owners might just knock off their slaves when they get tired, but instead God just, yeah, gives us all this strength and everything we need and he's given us a helper in the Holy Spirit so John 16 when the Holy Spirit comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all the truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come So aren't we incredibly privileged to have this Lord and Master? And if you're still not convinced of why he's such an amazing Lord and Master, there's all these terms for God in the Hebrew Scriptures. 
which should help you become even more convinced. So his, his name, I am, it just, I just feel like it just shows so much strength and stability. He is Jaira, provider. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. He's Nissi, banner, the safe place to go, the rallying call. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, which kind of happened in Auckland this week, didn't it? Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Rofe, he's our healer. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ears to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord, your healer. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy and pure. He's our peace, our completeness. It's Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, it's just such a lovely picture of the way the, the Lord walks with us and is our peace and completeness. And of course, he is our shepherd. He's our righteousness. And we've had a lot of that um, with this Romans. There's a saying, the fish stinks from the head down. And a saying, an organization reflects its manager. So... We reflect Christ's righteousness. Shama, he is there. He won't abandon us. Matthew 28. I will always be with you to the end of the age. And he's El Elyon, the Lord Most High. He's the highest and only supreme being. Heaven, Daniel, <coughs> Nebuchadnezzar says, I lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And he's the Lord of hosts. He commands a huge army of angels. We have this in, in Revelation. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. So that's the Lord God Almighty, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. He's our deliverer. 
David said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my saviour. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved by my, from my enemies. God is good and he's just. And Zephaniah, the Lord within her is righteous, her being the um, Jerusalem. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. He is compassionate and merciful. Sorry, I don't think that was part of the same reading. <laughs> Page 10. <laughs> so we have in the Psalms, he heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. And another thing that we don't always think of God's happy. He's a pleasurable God to serve, a pleasurable master to serve. He's always rejoicing over things. He's always rejoicing over us, and we're invited into the joy of his presence. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And our Lord is faithful and he doesn't change. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. So writer Reinhard Bonker, who says, The faithfulness of God is the mark of the divine character. The faithfulness of God means he does not change from who he has said he is. He is faithful in himself. He never deviates from what he has been. A God of integrity. He never does anything out of character. That faithfulness means people can trust him at every stage of his life, of their lives. I should point out, I have changed the tense in this to make it all present tense. The character of our God is incomparable. The faithfulness, the God of faithfulness is the one in whom we can trust. The one who will do us nothing but good. That is who he is. And there is none beside him. St. Andrews, this is the God we serve and we're going to be rewarded with eternal life as well. So I reckon that's a really good deal. So yes, we're slaves of God, but there's no one better to be a slave of. So we can all go into 2023 with that knowledge of who we are serving, that we're serving that all-powerful, all-compassionate, and a whole lot of other but all good things. That God who is all of those things. And this should give us a really great hope and gratefulness and security as we go into this new year. <laughs> <laughs>